0: Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right. So uh, jumping back into Acts, Pastor Ray did the—it actually fits well with what Pastor Ray was just preaching on in the sense of one of the questions uh, that I get when we talk about eschatology or end Uh, times—this happened previously and it's happened now again—is what are we supposed to do in response? So, so we focus on it, or, you know, we say you're not supposed to just be sitting there, you know, guessing the hour and the day. So what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Uh, what is the response? Because it is important that we look to, uh, to the end, but it's also important that we obey the biblical command to get ready. And I think, maybe it was four weeks ago, I actually don't know, but, uh, <laughs> because I preach often. But we had talked about, there's different responses that you can have to, to the end times. You can have Camp Irrelevant. Remember that? There was Camp Irrelevant, Doesn't Matter. There's Camp Fear, Hunker Down, and you know, Doomsday Prep. And then there was Camp Get Ready. Camp Get Ready. That's the ones who respond to the biblical command to get ready, to be ready. Whether it happens in this generation or not, that, that call was for all the generations to be ready. And so that really fits in well with Acts, as we jump into Acts, because the early church modeled that get ready lifestyle. They did it. They, they, right after Pentecost, the church began to grow. They began to meet. They began to complete the Great Commission and the Great Command. And, and Christianity spread like wildfire as a result. Uh, Matthew 24, uh, 42. Therefore, you must, what does it say in the underlined? Be ready. Be ready. For, the, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So we need to be ready. And that's not supposed to say 42. It should say 44. But uh, if you're looking at 42 and you're wondering if I made that verse up, just look two verses later and you'll see it on there. Anyways, so our passage of the day, I thought I would get through the end of Acts 2 because, Lauren, I kind of covered a bit of Acts 1 at Pentecost and then he did about a chapter. And I thought I would get through the end of Acts 2 and uh, all of Acts 3. But uh, we're going to get about seven verses in today. Because it's rich... Like, it is so much fun to preach from the Word and to get in here and just line by line start looking at each one and the implications of each. To study and to apply Scripture is incredible. So, uh, the passage we're going to start with is Acts 2.42, and I'll put it on the screen there. And they devoted themselves, this is talking about the fellowship of believers is how it's usually labeled in your Bibles. Uh, those titles were added afterwards. It's just to help you to understand. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Can, can you imagine that? Adding to the number day by day those who were being saved? Now, I, I mean, I do understand that, that Christianity was brand new. So, so, I mean, everywhere they went and shared the gospel, there was, it wasn't full of Christians. We're in a bit more of a Christian community. But still, just imagine what that must have been like to be, in, to be a part of a church like that. To be a part of a body of believers that, devo- that devoted themselves or lived the way that these early disciples did, and to actually have that joy of new believers being added constantly. You know, sometimes one of the fears that I've, I've heard from people is, you know, even when you lead someone to Christ, well, I'm not sure what to do with a new believer. And, you know, I've actually found new believers are the absolute best. They're great for us that are a little bit, little bit further on in our faith, uh, but they sharpen you, they challenge you. They're often so full of the Holy Spirit, and they have all this passion and zeal, and, and it actually is the way we should always be living. And so it's a wonderful thing. But anyways, it's also fun uh, pursuing God together. All right, let's break it down, though. I want to break these first, you know, five verses down into four characteristics of the early church. Okay, so that's what we're going to do now. Okay, they're going to figure that out up there. Maybe you guys could just punch me forward. Sometimes I don't work. Okay, so characteristics of the early church. Now, obviously the early church was attracted to, or the non-believers were attracted to the message of the gospel. Uh, But we're not going to focus on that this week. We are going to look a lot more at the gospel of the kingdom as Peter and the early disciples were preaching it next week. I was hoping to get into that. But I want to look at another aspect of the church that made them very attractive, and it was very simple. It was the way they lived. It was the model that they put on. They modeled Jesus. They didn't, just, they didn't just preach about Jesus. They didn't just talk about Jesus. They didn't just go to the temple. They lived it. They modeled what he was like to the culture. And they modeled what he was like to each other. You know, you think about Jesus' command. If, if you have love for one another, right? As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. And so they lived this out. And that's what we're going to look at, some of those characteristics. And of course, you know, we we know earlier in Acts 1, it talks about Pentecost. They were spirit-filled, they were empowered. But then what did they do as a result? And that's where we're going to spend a little bit of time. And I've split it into four distinct characteristics. And, And these characteristics have been used by many. In fact, Pastor Ray, I think, did a message, I don't think, I know. He did a message on it about a decade ago. And so I'm resurrecting uh, those four words, they're action words, and that's what we're going to look at. So we'll begin with the first one, and they're not in order of the five verses, but we're going to take a look. These are verbs, they're actions that the early church took that allowed them to be ready, that allowed them to stand strong in the culture, to bear fruit for the kingdom. So the first one is connect. They were a connected community. So they both lived for God, they were connecting with God, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in the message. But they were really intentional in the way that they pursued Jesus. It wasn't just an idea. You know, sometimes we talk about fire insurance Christianity, where you say a prayer, one prayer. Just, you know, and, and we think about that, well, you know, if you're, if you're wrong and, and, you, and you give your life to Jesus now, you've lived a good life and you just cease to exist at the end. So just say one prayer and it's fine. That's not what they lived. They lived in such a way that, that Paul said they, that Christians should be the most pitied of all if we're wrong. That's how they lived. But they also, they also invested in their relationships with others. They weren't individualistic like our society. And, you know, as I looked at this, I was reminded of... Um, a study I read uh, years ago, uh, Rob Mall put it together in a book called What Your Body Knows About God. Just a very short book, very, very good, just to kind of see how he was showing how modern science is proving much of what we see in Scripture. If we would live according to this, we would function at our peak, is what he was getting at. But in the process of, of you know, his study and writing that book, he had presented a study uh, comparing uh, brain scans from people that were in the West to those that were in other uh, eastern countries, primarily. Uh, Because what we find is this book was actually written to people that were tribal in nature. But we're not tribal. We aren't. Uh, We're very individualistic in the West. Uh, Very much so. And what they found on these scans, so they were asking them different questions, showing them pictures, and then basically, I mean, it's quite simple. They just watch where your brain lights up. Does that make sense? So where your brain lights up kind of shows you how the brain is wired. Well, when they talked about things that pertain to self and then they talked about things that pertain to community, in the West there were two different parts of the brain lighting up, right? Because we think of ourselves as individuals and then we think of ourselves as a community. Now that makes sense to us, doesn't it? Doesn't that make sense? The funny thing is that's not what happened in other places of the world. So in other places of the world, when they talked about self and then they talked about community, they, they would light up in the exact same place. Because there, people actually saw themselves in, like, as a part of the community. They weren't just individuals. They saw themselves as a part of a greater whole. And that way of thinking is actually biblical. Biblical. That, that's what we're getting at here. And it makes a lot more sense of, of verses. You know, you get to places where it says, you're not your own. And you're like, well, I mean, I am my own, right? And it says, no, you're not. You're members of each other. You're members of the body. You're not your own. Jesus bought you. You're his. You're each other's. We belong to each other. It's an interesting thought. And yet that's, that's uh, what the Bible teaches. So connecting. This is a big, uh, big issue for us in the West. And, you know, leaving through COVID. I know COVID really... Uh, Changed this, you know. It's it's very interesting to me. I, I've heard this. I, I wish I could remember where the quote was, but uh, we're the most connected and yet disconnected people in history. I mean, think, think about this. With smartphones, I don't even have. Where is my phone? Oh yeah, I left it over there. That's all good. Anyone ever get that panic mode? Where is my phone? I just had one up here. Okay. <clears throat> We could go on our phones right now and I could say, pick a place in the world and within seconds we could all be connected to that place of the world. Is that not amazing? You could probably be even connected in some way that was live. You can be connected and yet people are reporting more loneliness, more isolation, more hopelessness than ever before. Our relationships are weaker, not stronger. It's an interesting thing. So the early church invested in their relationship with Jesus, but they also invested in the relationship with others. It, it wasn't this one to the expense of this, it was both and both end. And in fact, a lot of how they pursued Jesus was done together. And we'll see that demonstrated as we go through Acts. But Hebrews 10:22 to 25, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So yes, let us hold fast to Jesus. That's first, absolutely yes. But then it moves right on to, like, how do we do this? How do we do this and how do we stand strong? Well, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, referring to the day of the Lord drawing near. That's exactly what we've been talking about the last bunch of weeks, kind of alluding to that, the day of the Lord. Well, right here, the writer of Hebrews tells us what we're supposed to do to be ready. Part of that, yes, is hold fast to your confession in Jesus. Yes, don't waver on that. Do that and continue to grow in that. But the other part is invest into relationships with other believers. And I'm going to say other believers, not that that relationships with unbelievers are bad. You should invest in those too because we want to reach people for Jesus. But I'm saying for your own strength, so you can be encouraged, so you can be built up, so you can have the strength to stand. Invest in relationships with other believers. All right. So we cannot do our Christian lives alone. And we're going to take a look at just some of the things that were in the passage, in the Acts passage, and a little bit from Hebrews. So they held fast to Jesus. Yes. I don't want to neglect that. I'm not trying to say it's one or the other. It's both and. Right? Can we say both and together? Both and. Right? We're trying to switch that here. So, meet with other believers. They encouraged each other. They went to the temple together. You know, it's, you know, it's very interesting. We have kind of a polarizing thing in the West, and I get it because the institutional church hasn't been all that the church was supposed to be as is stated in here. And I get that. But sometimes we think the answer to that is just simply to move from in a building into a home because that'll somehow just fix it. The, the building doesn't fix the problems with the church. The people going into here, studying it, and then applying it to their lives, that is going to fix the problems with the the church, obviously empowered by the Spirit. Amen? That's how we fix it. And what we find, it's very interesting, before persecution was really hitting them strongly, I mean, it did hit them right away, but they were going to the temple regularly together. They did that together. And they're meeting in homes together. It was both and, not either or. They did life together. They ate bread, uh, ate meals together. They called it breaking bread. Now, breaking bread would have included, they did communion together. They practiced it regularly. They were in their groups, in their cell groups, or small groups as we would call them. But in their families, they would remember the Lord's last supper and they would look forward with the Maranatha cry to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, They did that together. I think we need to go back to this. We need to go back to investing into relationships, to carving out time. And I know sometimes we're too busy doing this or we're too busy doing that or we're overwhelmed or we're isolated, we feel alone. We need to invest in relationships and we need to center those relationships around Jesus. If they're going to be relationships that strengthen you, you need to center those relationships around Jesus. And there's lots of ways that you can do that. Uh, But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Anyhow, they also shared their possessions with each other. Isn't that an interesting idea? Again, in our individualistic society, I know right away is we have a whole bunch of butts coming up to that, right? And I, you don't have to give them to me, and, you don't, I, and I'm not even trying to imply anything. I'm just going by what it says in here. I'm just saying that's what the early church did. They sold things. Now, did they have to? No. Remember the, the story of Ananias and Sapphira when they lied and said they had sold it for this and He said, you could have done what you chose. Right? And sometimes people have actually pointed, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but people have actually pointed to Acts 2, the early church, as the first model of communism. Did you know that? Isn't that interesting? It's a weird thought. No, communism is different. That's the government taking control of all your stuff and distributing it. That we don't think is a good system. This is different. This is believers putting people over possessions. That's what it was. Of their own free will, they would sell their possessions, they would give, they would distribute so that there was no needs amongst themselves within the community and in, with the unbelievers. I think that's pretty special. And lastly, they did lots of praise, worship, prayer. They centered their lives around Jesus and his kingdom. So that's what they did. That's the early church. That's one piece. Now imagine that. Um, they modeled the people over possessions. Now, I've thought about, um, no, I'm not going to get into that yet just for sake of time. I'm going to repeat myself anyways. All right, second one, grow. So they were connected. They were relational. And by the way, we're going to look at four, and then we're going to kind of end with one one last little piece there on the word in prayer. But grow. This is a very important one. We talk about it in our mission statement. Love God, love people, be discipled, and make disciples. And the idea behind being discipled is all over Scripture. You'll see it in there. And again, this would be one of those in the West where we're where we're not as strong as we should be, or as we ought to be. And there's lots that I could point to. You know, I, I mentioned a, f- a number of weeks ago, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, it's one of my favorite stories. I probably mention it lots. And we sing, there is another in the fire. I mean, who doesn't like that song? As we just sing about it, right? Especially in the day that we're in, we want Jesus to be with us in the fire. But we often forget, like, you know, sometimes we look to the heroes of our faith, and we want to emulate their lifestyle, or at least... We want to emulate their fruit, but we don't necessarily want to emulate their lifestyle that actually made the soil ready so it could bear fruit. It, it, does that make sense? And that's one of the things we need to go back to. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's right how it started. They are meeting together and devoting themselves. Think about that word. Right? Devoting. Devotion. They, they, they devoted. They gave time. They studied and applied the apostles' teaching. Now, some you might be wondering, what, would, what were they all studying exactly? Well, they would have had the Old Testament scriptures. That would have been a part of it. And the, the apostles and Jesus constantly referenced back to the Old Testament. So they were big on the Old Testament, but there was others. They would have also focused on Jesus' teachings, which we now include in our scriptures. That was new for them. Uh, and they would have also um, been focusing on that 40-day discourse, or however long it was within there, between the... Uh, Like where where Jesus rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven. Remember he taught them, it says, for 40 days here. 40 days in speaking about the kingdom of God. And whatever he shared there was so strong. I mean, I think a lot of that we read in the rest of scripture. We're reading little pieces of what he was showing them. Uh, But that's a lot of what they would have been focusing on. And it was so strong. He he was placing their hope on the the restoration of all things. And it was so strong as teaching on there that they thought he he might be coming back right then to restore the kingdom of Israel. But he said, not yet. But anyhow, Luke Luke 24 gives us another kind of, um, you know, bit of insight into what Jesus may have been teaching them in that 40 days. Because this is the road to Emmaus. And I, I've, I've tried to imagine what would it have been like, I mean, first off, to have Jesus walking beside you and not realize it. <laughs> that would have been something else. But the second thing, look what it says here. He began with Moses and all the prophets and, and, and uh, interpreted all the things in scriptures concerning himself. One of the fun things I've been doing probably since, I don't know, February, maybe it was March, is I've been going back and trying to find, I mean, trying to look in here. Sometimes I'm cheating and looking up online, but I'm trying to find all the messianic promises in the Old Testament and uh, to study them in their context and how they would have seen it. And it's absolutely fascinating how much of the Old Testament points forward. That's why there was so much tension around Jesus coming back because they all knew it. They were all looking forward to that day. There were some misconceptions about a first and second coming, but that was later made clear. We'll talk about that next week. Anyways, that's what he was expanding on. They were devoting themselves to this teaching. They weren't just living for for their lives now and trying to live their best life now. They were living for the kingdom of God. They were devoting themselves to understanding the scriptures, and they were aligning their lives to live in accordance with what they studied. And I think, again, like I said, that's one of our weaknesses in the West, and and there's multiple reasons for that probably. Um, One of them probably goes to is that we worry about uh, legalism, right? We do worry about legalism, and I'll talk a bit about that at the end, and people are, no, just believe in Jesus, and you know what I feel about that. Yes, just believe in Jesus, Start there, believe in Jesus, and then study and pray and grow and give of your life to others and invest into community and invest into people. Do all those things, absolutely yes. Anyways, um, when when we don't actually do the studying, it actually leaves us in a place where we are ripe for deception. And I believe in the West we're seeing that happen right now. We are, because people don't actually understand what the scriptures teach, and so it's very easy for a false teacher to come, or uh, there's, a, there's a range between false and dangerous teachers. Not all teachers that teach things contrary to what we believe are false teachers, right? We probably all have areas where we need to have our teaching and our theology corrected. But in that range, people will come and they'll give one convincing argument based off one verse. And because we're not grounded in what's in here, we just think, wow, that was a really good argument. And it was emotional in nature. And then we just change our beliefs. And that that leaves us weak and ripe for deception. I mean, even on end times, what's going to happen in the end? I've, I've had a bunch of questions on that recently. I know a lot of people have throughout COVID, focusing on the end, but when you don't understand the Old Testament, you come up with all sorts of weird uh, interpretations of the Revelations and the New Testament. Because the, you don't realize that, that the New Testament is, is actually based on the Old Testament. It's not even really a New... Like, I mean, it's, it's hard, because you say Old Testament, it sounds like old is bad, right? Old is bad, new is good. It was just the next step. It's the next piece. Anyways, we need to know truth. John 8 um, says, you will, know, you, are tr- uh, you will know the truth, and the truth sets us free. We usually like the verse 32, but not verse 31. Right? You will know the truth. Okay, truth is a person. Jesus, how do I know I know him? Because I said a prayer. said a prayer. I know the truth. I'm free. How's that working out for you? He said, if you abide in my word, abide in. If you know, if you stay near, if you obey, if you submit your life under, if you stay close to, then you are truly his disciples. That's what a disciple is. Right? We say, well, you just got to love Jesus. Amen. Love Jesus the way he he calls love. And he says, to love me is to obey me. Right? We need faith to save, faith and love in Jesus that results in obedience and, uh, and moving forward that way. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Anyways, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's what we need to go back to. So we need to study the truth about God, absolutely, and we need to apply the truth. Right? So the third one here we're going to move on to is uh, serving. So serving. This is an important one here. I know we often talk about volunteering, and I'll still talk about volunteering because that's what it is. However, serving is a better word than volunteer. Uh, Volunteer makes it seem like this is, I don't know, it's almost like we need you to come do this for us, and there is an aspect of that, but serving is not just, serving is actually about you. It is, about, it is about others, but it's also about you. It's one of those things that we are called to do, and we're actually called to serve both in the body and outside the body. And th- that's a value we have on staff. All of our staff serve. And by the way, they don't just serve here. They're allowed to serve wherever they want, right? We're, just, we're all trying to answer that call just the way many of you are. Do you serve, Are we serving inside the body? Are we serving outside of the body? If you have time, some serve both, and those are wonderful. I actually... I want to see more of you, uh, like a, more of the church of spirit-filled believers, you know, coaching teams for kids. Helping in community agencies. We need to be everywhere, amen? That's what scripture teaches about our serving, but there is both. So Romans 12 talks about, look at this, I'll put it up here. Though we are many, uh, though many are one body in Christ. Again, you see that individuals, but a group, but it's one. One. Uh, And individually, members one of another. (laughs) I love that. So, I belong to you, you belong to me. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, and let us use them. So, we're to use the things given resources, time, finances, gifts, abilities, relationships, position, work. Leverage what you have. We're to leverage it to do what? to serve. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. If prophecy in proportion to faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. There's lots more. I'm not putting all of 1 to 21 up there. Uh, Just the ones that talk really about serving. And then it says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bring people into your home. And on the contrary, what do you do with your enemies then? What about them? Surely you don't have to serve them, right? And yet even there, if you want to win people in the culture, if if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. We need to go back to serving uh, uh, those both in in the body but outside the body. And I think about some of the challenges we're facing in the culture right now. I think, I mean, obviously it being Pride Month right now and the the thing that drives me nuts the most about the the way the culture is it kind of, it pits us. And we shouldn't be pitted. But the answer to being pitted is actually to, to go out and love people and to serve them. Don't compromise on truth. Be like Jesus. Jesus went and he advocated for people that were in sin but then he also said, go and sin no more. I think sometimes our problem is we're so big championing the go and sin no more and and then holding in tight, we forget to go out there and love people, serve them, and advocate for them. And we need to do both. Uh, We need to do both. You know, in the early church, uh, 300 AD, Constantine, the emperor of Rome, actually declared Christianity was kind of their, not national religion, that's the wrong way of putting it, but it was accepted and he promoted it. Fascinating, isn't it? That that this little movement that started suddenly is being proclaimed by Rome, and Rome didn't do that sort of thing. But it was because of how the church responded during a plague. It It was during a plague where people were casting their relatives and friends out onto the street when they were sick. They were afraid. They didn't want to die. But Christians were going out into the street, and they were taking care of people. They were serving the sick. They were serving the, those without a home. And that's what they did. And it, was their, it was by their test. I mean, that was their testimony. Their serving and loving was their testimony. Pretty incredible. So it says the result of this, if you look at the end of Acts uh, chapter 2 there, is that they had favor with all people. So the way they lived, think about that. They lived in such a way that even though their message was a stumbling block, which it was, It was. The message of the cross is a stumbling block. It is. We are supposed to stumble over it and either assess our lives and give our lives to Jesus or or to walk away in offense, but it is a stumbling block. And yet, even with the stumbling block of the message that they had, it was truth that convicted them of sin. They still had favor with people because of the way that they lived. All right, last step here, and uh, then we'll then we'll move to the final point there. And then I want to actually have a little bit of reflection time. Because I know we're talking. I mean, this kind of message, I thought I'd probably do in September. Right when we're starting to launch smell groups and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the Holy Spirit led differently. And I thought, we actually need this for going into summer. So we don't just take the foot off the gas. We don't have the time to waste the summer. I'm not trying to imply Don't read into that. I just think we don't have the time. We only have X amount of minutes. Don't you want to use your minutes to invest in the kingdom and make sure you're ready for when Jesus comes back? Whether that's this year or whether that's 10 years from now doesn't actually matter. We want to be ready because we love him. All right, go. This is what they did. The last thing they did is they, they went. They followed Jesus' command to go and make disciples. Matthew 28, uh, the Great Commission here. And we have, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And I absolutely love the Great Commission. It's just, it it is simple, but it demands something of us. It challenges us with our time. It challenges us with our priorities. Are we going to answer that call to go and make disciples? And I think that's something we need to consider in greater measures. Uh, I think, you know, they baptized people into Christ, but they were also baptized into the body of believers. They went and taught them, taught them how to be conformed to the image of the Son. Then they go and repeat. They would make disciples that made disciples. You know, something that I was thinking about, and you'll you'll hear a lot more of it come September, The idea, we used to do this years ago in Four Winds, and I'm sure I didn't come up with it. I just kind of probably stole it from somewhere else as most things. But uh, each one, reach one. And the idea there was, uh, when we were running the Four Winds cell, there was about 120 people coming. The needs were far greater than any one leader could actually handle. Because there's too many people, and you have your own family, and you have your own job, and that sort of thing, and you're volunteering, you're serving, right? You're serving people, but you just can't serve. The needs are so great. The harvest is great. The workers are few. And so what we had done then was we just said, make your goal, like, if you have more time, great. But if you don't, let's all of us make the goal for each one to reach one person. Each week, reach out to one person, connect to one person, love them, serve them, and disciple them to Jesus. And that was the goal. And I just, thinking about, you know, we have, um, let's say there's 2,000 people that are coming to our church. Can you imagine what God could do if a 1,000, just half, Oh, maybe, I know half is maybe lofty, but whatever. Imagine half, a thousand people that said, yes, I am going to go and make disciples and use the, just with one. I'm going I'm to target one person. I'm going to prayerfully seek the Lord on who he wants me to reach out to, who he wants me to love, serve, and disciple to him. What could God do in a church like that, that was committed to going and making disciples? I think that could be absolutely incredible. Uh, We will be talking more about that come fall, but I wanted to already start planting the seeds uh, because I think that's part of our yes. And it's part of God's heart. And think about this. Right now, he's waiting. There are certain things that need to happen before Jesus returns. One of them is that the gospel goes out to all the nations, all the people groups, yeah. But think about this. His desire is that none should perish. He's waiting for that, that, that moment in time, that right moment in time where he can come back where the most people are saved. And we actually have an opportunity to go and speed up and hasten the day of the Lord. And that should be something that kind of burns inside all of us. Anyways, Acts two forty seven, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. That is the four characteristics that, that defined the early church. They were connected group. They went and they served. They were growing, and they went and made disciples. And it looks like what the Lord did is he daily added to their numbers. It was an attractive community. Now, I want to skip forward here now to Acts 3.1, and we're going to talk about now the next portion here, uh, which could have been included in those four steps, but I think it's a step in and of itself. The importance of prayer and the word in the early church. And I know this is an old message. We talk about the word in prayer. We talk about abiding. Um, and, uh, but I don't think we can talk about it enough. I don't think so. You know, uh, Acts 3 verse 1, this is right when he goes into the lame beggar. I was going to go through that whole story all the way up to verse 11. Uh, but I couldn't. I, get, I got stopped on the, on the first verse. Peter and John were going up to the temple at what? At the what? Hour of prayer, The what? what's that all about? What's the ninth hour all about? You know, you, you, you hear about these different times, these daily, I mean, Daniel and David were praying three times a day. We hear about these different things like, you know, the ninth hour, and then we wonder, oh, what's going on with that? Third hour evening prayer, you know, That's what we're going to talk about here. We already saw in Acts 2 how they devoted themselves to the Word, to Scripture, and they also prayed together. And now here we get a little bit of a clue of what also gave the disciples so much power in the way that they ministered and bore fruit for the kingdom. And it was, look, it's right here at the end, at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. You know, as a pastor for many years, I think it's been like 15 now or something like that. Anyway, it doesn't actually matter. It's been a while. Uh, something I noted, I noted very early on, and we would talk about here, is the difference that we saw in those who regularly spent time in the Word and Prayer and those who did not. And I am not going to imply that the difference was these people were perfect and these people were not. These people had no problems, these people had lots of problems. No. In fact, in both camps, you had people that had lots of problems. It was the way they bore up under those problems. Those that spent time in the Word and prayer had the ability to endure a lot more than those who did not. They also, when we were doing things like deliverance and inner healing, consistently demonstrated that they needed less sessions, less prayer to break free and to start moving forward than those who weren't spending regular time with the Lord. And this should come as no surprise to us. You know, we'll take a look at this. Uh, I will one day, at some point here, I have this document. That they, uh, it's called The Power of Four. And you know, don't worry, it's not like a new age thing. But it's talking about the power of four. And they did a study on time in the word from believers and all that kind of, it's a very large sampling size. I don't have time to go through the whole thing. I'm going to share a few small sampling size of the difference that, that they found in their study, okay? So um, those that spent, they split it up into zero to one times, one to two, two to three, and four or more times per week in the, in the word. Okay? You you're tracking there? So now we're looking at those that spent four or more times. And what's interesting is three or less made almost no difference in any of the categories that we're going to look. Weird. You know, it's like, can you imagine being an athlete and you only ate three days a week? How your performance would begin to suffer? It's much kind of the same. Anyways, this is what they found. So, not that they're perfect. Getting drunk, the uh, 57% down, lower odds. Sex outside of marriage plummeted 68%. Pornography plummeted 61%. Gambling, another 74%. And these habits, even even forming, went down uh, 57%. Simply by spending four or more times in the word per week. called the study the power of four and by the way lots of studies you look at were like a hundred people or a thousand people very short this was a very extensive study and i will bring it up again in fall but it was a very extensive study that they did over a very large sampling across from different areas of the world which is fascinating so it was consistent results next one here let's talk about because there i just talked about sin sin levels dropping addiction dropping but look what increased. At four or more, the sharing their faith with others was up 228%. Let that sink in. Can you imagine that? Discipling others went up 231%. Memorizing scripture was up 407% by spending four or more times in the word. Literally, the word is living the way it says, not the Bible itself, it's not these actual pages. But the words of God, they are living. When we hear it being spoken, when we read it ourselves, when we memorize it and meditate on it, it actually changes us, physically changes us from the inside out. And yet in the West, we have this interesting like paradox. I don't know if it comes from individualism. I actually think that individualistic piece that we have in the West is a cause of more of our stumbling than we realize. But I think it does here too, because if I stand up here and say, you guys... And me, us. How about I, us guys, all of us, right? So I'll point to myself too. We need to spend daily time in the word and daily time in prayer. Right away something rises up and it's like, well, you can't, that's legalism. That's not in the Bible. You can't, you can't tell me to do that. Okay, first off, the legalism argument, and I won't spend a ton of time on this just for the sake of time. Um, Legalism is this, we, we generally, and how people define it, is anytime time you tell someone they have to do something, we label it legalism, and then we don't do it. That is not what legalism is. That's called cause and effect. Make sense? Legalism is saying there's another way to salvation. So if I would say, you need to, re- to read the Bible for 30 minutes, seven days a week, in order to be saved, you could say, legalism! right? I'm not saying that. I'm saying, do you love Jesus? Do you want to know him more? Do you want to bear fruit for the kingdom? Do you want the ability to endure hard things, the ability to resist temptation in your life? Do you want to stand before him with confidence one day and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant? Do you long to hear those words? then get into the prayer and get into the word daily. Amen. And if you're not there yet, don't, I'm not like, you're like, ah, okay, this is really hurting because I actually probably do it once a month. Then take a step. Move forward. Like, take a step. You can move forward. I'm not saying you have to, to, to switch it all over in one day. But it is worth the investment for yourself as an individual. But don't just think about yourself. What about those around you? If you're married, what about your spouse? What about, if you have kids, what about your kids? If you're single, what about your friends? What about your coworkers? Do you think that there's people around you that need a spirit-filled, Jesus-filled, uh, Jesus-loving believer that's going to help, help them work through problems and lead them to Jesus? Do you think people need that in this world? Do we need more of Jesus or less of him? Scripture gives us the way. So anyhow. Oh, that's the legalism one. I'm not telling you that you have to do it to be saved. I'm not. I'm telling you you have to do it to bear fruit. That's what I'm saying, which I, I took that from the Bible, John 15. Um, all right, what about, um, yeah, I had those questions on there. Uh, there's also the not in the Bible. What about the not in the Bible one? Have you ever heard someone say that, right? Well, it doesn't really talk about devotions in the Bible. Sometimes we get our gitch a bit in a knot because the word isn't in the Bible. Devotions, okay? Devotions is Christianese. So yes, you don't find the word in here because we made it up. I don't know who made it up. Someone did. I should probably Google that later. Google knows not everything. That's not true. Scary what those algorithms are doing now. Anyways, but it comes from the word being devoted. Devoted. Right? That's what it means. Do you have devoted time? Do you spend devoted time just between you and Jesus? Devoted means the phone is down. Distractions are down. It's date night. Not a weird way, but it's date night. It is just me and God. That's what that's coming from. Devoted. So does the scripture talk about living a devoted lifestyle? Absolutely yes. And if we look at the early church, then we'll take a look at this, right? So this is what the early church did. And you'll find it in the Old Testament, and I'm going to cover that in just a moment. They had evening prayer. Evening prayer was the first time, uh, because evening prayer was the beginning of their day. Isn't that neat? Their day began at sunset. It's a little different than us. Um, You actually see, now not everyone observed the three dailies like that. They all did the uh, third hour and the ninth hour. That was very common. Uh, But it wasn't, I think, until after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD that all of them implemented more. It was more across the board they did the three. But there were many, even in the Old Testament, like David and Daniel, both, Evening, morning, and afternoon, I cry out to you. So their third hour was 9 a.m., their ninth hour is 3 p.m. So sometimes we think, well, I mean, this whole seven days a week, daily spend time in the Word and Prayer, you don't actually find it in the Bible. You're right. They didn't do once. They did three times. You're right. Our bar is low. And then you might think, well, yeah, but that's Old Testament. Is anyone thinking that? Don't raise your hand. Because I know that's, that's sometimes it's the, it's the thing inside of us. Well, that's Old Testament. We don't have to do that anymore. You know Jesus came along and didn't actually lower it? Not only that, I would argue that he, he raised the bar. <laughs> here, let's we'll get forward just for the sake of time. Uh, look at this. Luke 18, verse 1. He told them a parable to the effect that they should always pray and not lose heart. So remember the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you think it's bad to commit adultery? You're already doing it if it's in your heart. Jesus did that here too. You, you know... They were praying three times a day. I'll go on to First Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. You should pray always. And not give up. He understood the power of prayer, and he called us to it. And besides, he also modeled this. I mean, Jesus was a prayer legend. He really was. Go and look through the Gospels, how many times he was praying. He prayed before and after and during basically everything. He was always praying. He always had time to pray. And yet he was really busy. Luke 640 says, the disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained, that's going back to the be disciple, the growth piece, will be like his teacher. We need to be like Jesus. So, how are we going to end this off? We're going to have a little bit of reflection time. That's what we're going to do. Because going into summer, I know it's easy going into summer to think, foot off the gas, right? Foot off the gas and, and Relax. And and I think there is change and rest, and all of that is important. But let let us not rest in our relationship with God and others. Let us continue to meet together, to meet with the Lord and all the more as we see the day drawing near. So here, I'll give you a list here, and uh, this is our get-ready checklist. Okay? The get-ready checklist. And you can just take a look, and we'll just... uh, give you a moment to kind of go through there. You know, uh, as you're taking a look, if you want to take a picture for later if it's too much, but I'll give you a moment, you can write through it. Uh, I I like to use the uh, exercise analogy because I like to work out. It's a fun thing for me. And Paul used it anyways, so I'm just following his examples. You know, if if you were told, or if I told you that you were going to be at a powerlifting meet in a year from now, or six months from now, like, you, you, you're going to this powerlifting meet, and you are going to compete against many others. You're going to lift heavy weight. Can you imagine someone who says, you know, I'm going to go to this powerlifting meet, but they make zero time to train. They don't change their diet. They don't give any thought to it. All they do is maybe watch the odd you know, powerlifting show online. How effective do you think they would be at their meet? Paul used that same analogy when talking about uh, you know, disciplining our body. And I think we need to do the same thing. So I'll give you a moment, about a minute and a half, two minutes. Let's just let the Spirit lead. Lord, where's our next step? What do we need to focus on? In that heart of moving away from individualism i'll encourage you to take these questions and considerations into your own community bring it into your friendship circles bring it into your small group bring it into your family how can you grow in these things together i know we often look at what do i need to do right and that's a good thing to do what do you need to do you need to have that personal walk with jesus you do need to follow him but bring these questions into your community what can you do together can you worship together? Can you pray together? Can you serve together? I know sometimes people have asked me, why I don't know how to get connected and we're looking for a small groups. So, you know, often I think probably the, the, the easier way to get connected if you're struggling on the relational side, serve. Go serve somewhere. You'll have something in common to be with people as you get to know them. It's like going to work together or going through something together. You just build relationships. Serving is an excellent place to get to know people. So well, let me pray for you, and then you guys can enjoy your hot dogs and bouncers. Adults, you shouldn't go on the bouncers. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, this is what we know, is that you were coming back for your bride, the church. And your call is that we would be ready. And, and you weren't giving us a harsh call. You are actually, you are being merciful and kind by telling us what to expect when you return. And you are coming back for a bride that is longing for you in the same way that you were longing for them. And so Lord, we want to be a church, Southland Church. We want to be a church that is ready for you when you come back, regardless of when that is. We want to be a church that is faithful to you in the same way that you've been faithful to us. Lord, your word instructs us in the way that we should go. Your spirit reminds us of these things. And so often, Lord, it's been easy to shove them to the side and excuse compromise or disobedience. Lord, today we repent from that and we ask that your spirit would lead us on, lead us forward. That we would turn from sin, but that we would also fully engage in your mission here on the earth until that day when we see you face to face. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.